constructive, positive attitude or enthusiastic attitude really makes a difference for them. So. Consider your current scope of responsibilities and make sure that you are doing everything you can to make that uh, just very best delivery as possible. Creating this dynamic of carrots saying we're not getting what we're paying at the same time, we are investing more and more and more. Welcome to ISS EDU Learn, Ask Me Anything with Mike and Dana. Here we'll be exploring how international schools are innovating and transforming education around the world. From the latest trends and insights to stories from teachers and administrators, you'll get the inside look to the global education landscape. So join us as we explore what the future of international education has in store. Get ready to be inspired, challenge the status quo, and embrace a world of possibilities. Hello, and welcome back to another great episode of ISS EDU Learn, Ask Me Anything with Mike and Dana, where you ask me the questions and I seek and we seek the answers. This is season two, episode four. I am your host, Mike P., your favorite educator interviewer, and I am here with my co-host, Dr. Dana Watts, who is the director of learning research and outreach. Dana, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Mike. Dana, are you ever doing bad? One day we're going to get you. We're going <laughs> to ask you why. Uh, AMA is brought to you by ISS, International School Services. Join in as we explore all you need to know about international schools from curriculum, DEIJ, marketing to HR, ISS, EDU Learn. Ask Me Anything is a unique educational podcast that allows you to unlock more potential and provides a platform for you to develop yourselves professionally. Before we get started, just a few housekeeping items. Don't forget to hit the subscribe, like, and leave us a review. We could be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Spotify. Also, visit us at iss.edu slash events in order to see all of our upcoming events, uh, including fairs, job fairs that we have, and also professional developments that are going on. And without further ado, Dana, who do we have in today's episode? Today, we are really lucky to have Laura Benson with us. Laura is our Director of professional Curriculum and Professional Development here at ISS. And if anyone has had an opportunity to work with Laura face-to-face or even online, you know what a genuine, amazing human being she is. Laura, I'm not sure if I've met anyone within the world of international education who's more giving and who just makes people feel like they're a million dollars. And teachers need to feel that. Teachers need to feel like they matter. And I'm not sure if I know anyone who does that better than Laura Benson. So we're thrilled to have you here. And you're you're like a whiz on conferring and working with kids and reading literacy. So I'm just thrilled to have you here today. Thank you. Great honor and great joy to be with you both. You're two of my very favorite people in the world and you keep me going. That's for sure. Oh, that's good. Laura, so... So I went in and to find a definition of conferring, it's the first thing that I did. And I got consult together and compare feelings. And the workshop he did, it was conferring with children. So then I went back into kind of a childhood type of thought and mentality. And when I didn't, I never felt like people wanted to know my feelings or that adults felt like children had feelings. So I wanted to ask, of course, the answer is going to be yes, but do kids have feelings and at what age does it start? Yeah, great, great, great point and great question, Mike. Absolutely. And I think that Maya Angelou would say the, the most basic need of every human being, children and adults, is to feel seen and to be heard. And I think the idea is, as I shared in our workshop together, my first reason for conferring is relationships. 
And in your beautiful definition, you know, to consult or share feelings, that's it. it it's not about academics at first. And, and I mean, even at the first of a conference, I want to touch base and see how the child's feeling and doing. And if they're worried about their dog being sick or excited about their grandma coming to visit, that's going to dictate how the conference is going to go. So it's very important to, to hear children and to listen and to affirm their feelings. And then we can work on the learning together. It's for me very much all about relationships. And just like you, Mike, I didn't have a lot of great experiences in school. And while that sometimes made me want to run away from school or not choose this as a profession, I also just thought, can we work together to make it better for children? Can we listen to them? Can we allow them to have feelings and allow them to have a voice in education? And one thing I love about our schools is we work hard to give children a voice and we work really hard to hear them. I think that's so, you're so spot on there, Laura. And, you know, when you think back, like just this week at some point, someone asked me to talk about a favorite teacher and a teacher had a major impact on my life. And I was thinking of the teacher who probably knew me best, Mm -hmm. right? Like the teacher who actually went above and beyond and not that every teacher needs to go above and beyond, but like made an impact on, on getting to know what made me tick. And, and knew me as a human being, right. and you, you're seen as a human being, it makes such a massive difference. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think both you and Mike do that. You you help people feel heard and you you care about the humanness of people. And it's one, it's one reason I think we're a good team is we, we care about each other first. And then, yes, the work is very important. And just like academic growth is very important. But you know, I don't, I don't know how to do this teaching work, education work without it being anchored in healthy, nurtured relationships. Yeah. Is there any negative feelings that deserve punishment, I guess? Well, I think punishment just brings shame and shame is very toxic. So I think when we have to give feedback that, you know, maybe is more um, around discipline or somebody has been frisky or a little bit naughty, you know, mm-hmm. we have to, there are times where there has to be boundaries put in place and You know, I've had to, what I do is go back to conferring though. When that happens, I take that, you know, I have a one-on-one conversation with that child, or as I'm sure Dana, you and I have both had to do, you have that conversation heart to heart with the class or the group, say, hey guys, (laughs) anywhere from keeping the bathrooms cleaner so we're not over taxing the janitors to playground behavior or how we're talking to each other in class or online bullying that we're trying to prevent. We, we definitely want to think about that. You know, Laura, you made me think of um, one of the best lessons I learned from a principal, actually Patrick Herworth, who's now at UWC in Singapore. He said to me once after a student had gotten caught doing something wrong, right? And he came in to talk to the parents and he said, there are no bad children. There are children who make bad choices. Yeah. And he said, and every time we deal with a child, we have to think about how do we help make that child, help that child not make bad choices again, but right. there are no bad children. And he's like, we have to think about children as if they're our own. And what would we most want to have, what conversation would we most want an adult to have with our own children? And I thought, wow, like that changes my whole dynamic on, yeah, you're right. This is, they're young. They don't know 
They, they're, this is when, if we can't teach them, if we can't help them, who can, this is an opportunity for us yeah. to help children instead of make them terrified and afraid and feel terrible about a choice they made. Well, and I kind of tease, but I'm being serious at the same time that I never want my conferring to send a child into therapy. A lot of times there we're leaning over some learning or what could be a piece of writing or could, some of their thinking. And what I say becomes the internal voice for a child. Uh, I'm trying to model healthier, more edifying way to talk to themselves. So I think I, I have to choose my words carefully. Sometimes my students are five and sometimes my students are graduate school students, but either way, this person is vulnerable. And it's not that we can't be honest and, and give that descriptive feedback, even when it might be, you know, naming something that's uncomfortable or tough, but I can frame it and I can offer it with compassion. And I think the essence of my work is unconditional love, that that you love people unconditionally. And it's exactly as you say, Dana, they're children. And here's a typical thing, Mike, going back to your thoughtful question, you know, in first teaching first or first and second grade or middle school, there's some pivotal years where kids are working through good and evil or good and bad or you know, just tough stuff that they might be having nightmares about even. I always had good kids, but I always had one or two every year that started thieving and started stealing. And they were not thieves or not. It's not going to be a long-term problem, but they're just sort of testing out things, just like teens in our house do as parents or as teachers in classrooms. Kids try out things. And the best place for them to try them out is in our classrooms and our homes because Mm -hmm. they're cocoon of some support. So as kids try new things out in their writing in a writing conference or try things out behaviorally that they should or shouldn't be doing, a conference gives you the opportunity to help them reflect. Job security for us, because most kids are not cognitively at a place to do a lot of reflection without a caring adult in their life. So if you can get them to step back a little bit and think about the consequences or think about I think another thing both of you all were saying in one way or another is find out what's going on. Why is the kid doing that? They could be very worried or very afraid or something tough could be going on. And conferences, by having regular conferences as part of my own learning and teaching routines, I tend to have a better feel for what's going on in kids' lives or learners' lives, again, whether they're kids or adults, because we the three of us work with a lot of learners who happen to be adults too. So, well, and you know, Laura, I think of all, I mean, okay, this, my, uh, my background's in, in English literature and I taught secondary English for years. Right. But I find that there's such a link in between writing and like students will share with you right, some exactly. most intimate moments of their life. Right. And as the teacher, you have to be really, you have to tread so carefully because they've just shared something and it may or may not seem huge to us, right? But it's those events, they're, they're processing them through their writing. And so when we work with students and we confer with students, we have to be so cognizant of the fact that they just really opened up 
a huge part of their heart. And it might be the first time they've opened that secret or some part of their past or some story that has impacted them with an adult or any other human being. And so like that conferring part is so essential because they need to know that their words matter, their experiences matter, and that someone has heard them. And, and I think that that's why conferring will never go away, despite however much you know yeah. technology, and I'm a huge fan of technology, however much technology we have in the classroom and we integrate in the classroom, conferring is an essential skill for educators to have. I agree. And this, uh, you, may, you bring up several memories for me and stories for me about children disclosing something that they a lot of times kids need some years to process things or, or at least a good amount of time. And I can remember being in Chris Tabani's classroom, demonstration teaching, writing conferences and writing lessons. And a child was, just, was writing about a murder and they're in third or fourth grade. And everyone's, I usually have a lot of people observing me in those situations. So people started to look at each other and get really uncomfortable and Chris gave me a really knowing look. And what happened, long story short, is this child was processing their mother had been murdered and they had witnessed it, but never, ever, ever talked about it despite years of therapy. And so here in this one day, middle of the school year, someone they kind of know me, someone they really know well, their teacher, we're right there. I'm having the writing conference with the child and they're disclosing this. So it's a sacred moment. Every conference is a sacred moment, but it's an opportunity to accept and let that child work through something that, like I said, it had been years and there had been no processing of that horrific memory. And so just stopping to listen and reaching out and putting my hand on their arm and just listening. There wasn't much I could say or should say probably, but just to be with the child. And that goes back to Mike, what you were saying at the beginning, you know, it's in a sense, the the Latin root of the word is to sit beside, assess is Mm -hmm. beside. And that's what we're doing in conferences. We're sitting with each other. And sometimes it matters what we say, of course, but sometimes it's just there's another human being there that cares about you unconditionally and is willing to listen, just like Dana was saying. Laura, I have a question that I hear often from um, especially secondary ed teachers, right? Is they say, I have no time to confer. Yeah. Then everyone else is sitting around and not doing anything like, and I have all this content I have, I've got to get through the AP or IB curriculum. I have to do this. I have, I blah, 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 blah. Right. But what I have found is that for the small amount of time it takes to actually confer, like it does take, it takes time. It takes a lot of time in your classroom to confer with each student. However, the five minutes, 10 minutes I spend with a student can make drastic changes on the way that they write, the way they think about themselves as a reader and writer things of that nature. And so, uh, but how do you help those teachers who are in their head, they're thinking about the pushback, right? And they're thinking about different things. How do you help them? It's exactly as you wisely profile, give yourself permission to have short conferences, even 30 second and two minute conferences make a, a big difference. And the other thing I'd say when I moved into high school, secondary, you know, the numbers are daunting. The numbers of periods you have, the numbers of students you have, the number of paper you know, load of paperwork you have. I was overwhelmed too. I really was. So what I did was I told myself, I'm going to confer with two or three people that period or one kid that period. 
And then I would rotate the kids I was worried in more often. But by the time two, three, four weeks rolled around, I had had a chance for a short conference with everybody. And that helped a lot. The other thing is to stay really focused. Don't teach or look for everything you could in a conference. What we're doing in a conference is listen, name, and nudge. So what I'm listening for is evidence of what what I've taught, what we've been learning together. And that's what I give the feedback, name and nudge feedback around is persuasive writing, or maybe it's even specific to claims and evidence around persuasive writing. Or maybe if it's around inferential thinking, it's about you know making tighter predictions based on text evidence or something like that. But you have to give yourself permission to think about the math of it. And that is short conferences, and you're not going to see too many kids at a time. Use your device, your phone, your iPad, or if you want to go to clipboard, we've all, a lot of us have taught in China where internet or Africa where internet isn't always reliable. So I still use the clipboard a lot, but I have a way to take a note. A lot of times with high school kids, I don't take notes during the conference because they get really self-conscious about it. What I do is as I step away, I write down one or two keywords and that'll help me remember what I talked to Joe about or Emilio about or Tron about. But part of it is you got to turn off the police in your head about being perfect. Don't worry about conferring perfectly. Don't worry about time so much. Georgia Hurd says, try to think about the luxury of having lots of time, even when you don't, because it just shifts your mind into seeing the opportunities and seizing those. You're offering customized support in a conference. So whether it's 30 seconds, couple of minutes, I'm tailoring what the conversation I have to that child developmentally aligned to where they are right now, because we're talking about their writing, or we're talking about their math, or we're talking about their artistic pursuit that they're going after. So I think the short conferences and don't go after too many kids each period uh, as a secondary teacher, that really helps. It's such a key part too, is not to try to solve all of the problems of issues that you might see. But just one or two. And like one, one of my favorite things used to be like, like the five senses. It was like, okay, if you're hitting the five senses in your writing, like you've just made yeah, it. Exactly. I'm like, so, okay, today let's talk about what can I smell? What can I smell in your writing? Or what can I, what can I taste? Yeah, nice. What can I hear? Tell me right now, or I'll have them like read it out loud. And when they're reading it out loud, they're like, oh yeah, I don't yeah. make any yeah. sense. And I'm like, yeah. oh yeah. Okay. But like focusing on just one or two things and then it stays with them. It totally stays with them. Yeah. And you can have them before you even sit down to confer with them. I used to also, I, so I'm all about color and I used to have like <laughs> highlighters and I'd be like, okay, pink highlight, you know, in pink, the words that you think you've used too much Uh or in yellow, find a word that are things where perhaps like it's one of the senses or whatever it was. Right. And there'd be things when they're sitting down, they've already thought about it. So then we're ready to have the conversation deep right then and there. Well, beautiful. And it really reminds me of uh, Gary Paulson in the winter room says, if books could have more, show more, give more, they would still need readers. The book needs you. So how does the book need you? Or how does this piece need you? Or 
how does this uh, Mike Urillian in music, how does this music need you? You know, like, what are you trying to convey? What are you trying to say? And I think that idea of just getting them to step back in a more playful way sometimes. I love that five senses thing. I think that makes a ton of sense. And I think that's also concrete enough for kids to wrap their brains around it. Because sometimes we try to talk at really adult levels and be all sophisticated in our conferences. You know, to be more like them, just stay real. Probably say yes, that all teachers need to confer with their kids. But my question is, at what age is kids? Because then I was going to ask about like what age they're kids, but you spoke about high school kids. So are those kids? So is everyone kids? And when do they evolve into something else? Well, they're, yeah, you're right. They're more young adults at that point, and they're certainly living young adult lives. But I think part of your cool question is also like, yes, we confer with them when they're, once we get them in school, whether that's a two, three or four year rural program or definitely in high school. But the other thing we can do is encourage peer conferences, encourage them and set up structures so that they can talk to each other. I don't want to be the only teacher in class and I know better. I know I'm not the only teacher in class. So if they can get some conference partners, like one thing we can do is just stop class six minutes early and have them go find a conference partner and mm-hmm. share one proud line from their writing that day or share one place in their math where they use their strongest, most confident problem solving and give them a chance to share in pairs so that each person has time to talk. Because I think a lot of conferring is teaching them how to have healthy, edifying conversations. And I don't know that that always goes real well for all of us. Everybody's busy and not everybody's having dinner time conversations or time to sit together as a family. We all mm-hmm. understand why. There's no shame or guilt thrown at any of this. But but to work on my communication skills, their communication skills, let's give them each other as well as ourselves. I think to piggyback on that, you know, Mike, I don't know if we... I think when we think about kids, we think about, we should think about learners and we're all learners and we all can learn from different processes. And Laura really touched base on the fact that, you know, the importance of peer conferring and hearing from a peer sometimes is much easier than hearing from a teacher because there's a dynamic there, right? But I think it's also important to model that behavior. And like one of the things that I've done with students before is like with a student that I know, you know, and I've talked to him ahead of time, like let's do a conference together with everyone watching us. And so then I, we model, I model the behaviors and the things that I expect to see in a peer-to-peer conference. And then I turn my students and say, okay, now find a friend and now have your conference because they sometimes they need to see that model first because they don't know how to do it you know you don't want another kid saying man that sentence is just me (laughs) like that makes no sense or that's why did you say that like you want it to say I mean you do you do want them to say some of those things but like just the way that they do it in their approach they need a little bit of modeling and scaffolding yeah to see once is better than to listen many times so I totally agree with you Dana to to model what good conference sounds like, that that for Dana and I, that's something that we infuse into our teaching multiple times in a year, not just once to kick it off, because the kids will grow over time and there'll be nuances of compassion or empathy or, you know, sometimes their relationships are strained and so we want to help them 
very, very important. Laura, is there any books uh, that our listeners should go and read uh, in regards to conferring? Yeah, I think there's so many, but one is by Patrick Allen, who I'm a great friend and a great mentor. He has a wonderful book on conferring. Carl Anderson has incredible books on conferring. Jennifer Saravallo, Gretchen Nowaki, Shelley Harwain. There's so many, and we, for people who got to be part of our course, uh, we put those in the padlet and tipped in a lot of videos from Don Graves, Dana, and I really like Penny Kittle, Kelly Gallagher, and I think they're great, as well as all the other people I mentioned. They're all generous in offering you examples of those, so if you could Google any of those people's names on or put them in YouTube, you would see examples of what great conferences mm. sound like trying to think too. Mac Glover has great ones on YouTube. I know Carl has some on YouTube, Georgia Heard. And again, Penny Kettle and Kelly Gallagher. Kyleen Beers has great things to say. Dan Finkelson. Absolutely. Absolutely. And some new ones too from him. So if you go into your favorite browser, or you go into YouTube and just put conferring, it's amazing how much shows up. And the mentors that, that Dana and I really turn to, they'll, they'll show up the most on there. But it is helpful, uh, even this is my 45th year but of conferring, but even at this stage, I, I'm still learning so much. And I've, I love your question, Mike, because there's still so much to learn from each other. And it paints a rich portrait of possibilities for conferences to watch masters at work. And Laura, are you working on any type of projects, like any cool tools uh, for conferring or any books that you're working on that our listeners should know about? I'm always uh, writing. I do a lot of writing for us around in our news links. And Dana's always writing, too. I know written for Dana a little bit of late. But right now I'm working on a piece blessed by Ken O'Connor called Curriculum Fixes. Because we uh, Dana and I just get a ton of questions about this. and we're, we've done it long enough, I think, that we can offer people some solutions to just make that go better. So, But for conferring, I'm always pushing ideas out there to get better at it myself and to make this more routine, a rich, ritual routine in everyone's lives. And again, going back to your question, whether the, the kid or learner is graduate school student or second grader or seventh grader, we need these exchanges. There, there's no doubt about it. They're, they're so edifying and they're so meaningful to nurture great relationships. Mm-hmm. And do you have any advice for teachers that it's having a challenging time creating those relationships with kids of any age? Yeah. The only thing that I know when things get really tough is to spend more time with that kid. So if I had a kid or some kids in class where things weren't going well, depending on their age, I might eat lunch with them or I might have them in conferences more often. Or I might just say, hey, what's going on? Something seems to be amiss here or we're not clicking or you you know, you know, seem withdrawn. Can we talk about it? In other words, you put more time into the relationship. When it's appropriate, like if I, Dana and I were in school together and I know that child had had Dana, Dana as a teacher, I could go to her and say, hey, how did you reach this child? What did you see? And not, not that we're gossiping, we're, we're really just trying to share meaningful ways that we came to know them and have a healthy relationship with them. If we're lucky enough, I've had some incredible uh, counselors 
and social workers on staff that who also know and care about all the kids. And it, it is helpful to have someone to talk to, to think about, especially if you feel like you've tried everything under the sun and you're not getting anywhere, go to someone that you trust to process that with and seek their advice in addition to having those open-hearted conversations with the child or children. Okay. All right. Well, I see that our 30 minutes is actually up, so it's actually time to end. So if you just wanted to let our folks know where they can find you online, I know you're very active online too. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. I Well, I, I try to be active, but not a pain in the petite. <laughs> no, but, not at all. But I'm at LB Open Book on Twitter. LB Open Book for Laura Benson Open Book. And uh, you can cer- certainly, uh, you know, find us, uh, all three of us on our ISS website. And I look forward to connecting with you all. And I need to offer the biggest hugs of thanks and respect to Mike and Dana. It's just a constant joy to be with people who give so generously, so wisely, and you guys, these these two work like all hours of the days and night to help all of us. So thank you so much. Everybody that's with us today, thank you to my two close mentors and friends here. And we wish you all the very best as you take your conferring to deeper levels. Do join us in May. We're going to have back-to-back uh, series of um, workshops devoted to taking our conferring to deeper levels. And we'd love to have you with us. Thank you, Laura. You're fabulous. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for pulling us together. Yay! All right. This is the end of our episode number four. So don't forget to follow us to receive notifications about new episodes that we release. As you know, we release an episode every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in and kindly head over to iss.edu slash events to see future PDs that ISS is offering for the rest of the school year of 2023. If you love the show, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Spotify. And maybe next season we'll probably be on YouTube for video versions, but that's in the future. Don't forget to follow us on ISS on all of our social media platforms. And until next time, educators, see you in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you.